Hello, and welcome to the Estate Planners Podcast. My name is Anthony Brinkman, and this is the place for will writers, estate planners, and solicitors that are interested in learning the tips, tools, and technicalities to best help their clients. This is episode nine, entitled, The Old Will Isn't the New Instruction Form. I want to take up quite a specific point that I come across from time to time, even with experienced estate planners. In fact, it's an issue that is more common with experienced estate planners than it is with newcomers to the industry. And it's the tendency to use the old will, or even an old draft of the will, to take notes on amendments that a client wishes to make. In other words, let's say you have a client that you saw five years ago and you made a will for them. Time moves on, circumstances change, and the client now wants to see you again to update their will. So what do you do? You pop out to see them, taking their old case file, or maybe printing off their old instructions, and a photocopy of the will that you made for them in the past. After all the pleasantries and the catch-up chat about holidays and the weather and the state of the roads, you get down to business. The client says that they have had two new grandchildren since you saw them last, and their dog has died, and they've fallen out with Flossie, who was going to be their executor. So, you whip out the old will, and you do what? You follow human nature. You start crossing out Flossie's name as an executor. You jot down the names of the two new grandchildren in the reserve residue area. You cross out the provision for pets clause. And why not? You've seen the client before. They clearly still have capacity. You can save time by making your amendment notes on the old will. And then returning to the office, you're able to very rapidly update their instructions as you're still using the same software as you were before. And you make the necessary updates in a matter of minutes. Your amended version is fine. Client is happy. They get the new will signed and all is well. Or is it? I put to you that this is very far from well. There are several problems with this method, but let's jump straight to the worst case scenario. The will is contested and you have to go to court to provide evidence. Where is your mental capacity assessment or your contemporaneous notes? Where is the client's assessment of their estate or their current family structure? You're going to be on pretty shaky ground when trying to justify the shortcuts that you took. Hopefully, you've never had to go to court. But if you have, then you will know that it is an intimidating experience and any weakness in a case will be ruthlessly exploited. Your lack of instruction forms or notes is a distinct weakness in this situation and you would be made to feel at best very embarrassed and at worst totally negligent. Now, okay, that's the worst case, and I'm not going to apologise for being a little bit dramatic in the language there. Far better to be a little dramatic now if it helps hit the point home and save you from the reality of that situation in the future. There are a few other issues, however, with this method of using the old will as the new instructions. One of those issues is that you are denying the client the opportunity to take a fresh clean and open look at the answer to a question 
By using the old will, you're going to influence the client's thinking. For example, let's take up the question of residuary beneficiaries. With the old will in hand, the question is likely to be, do you still want to leave your residuary estate to Fred and Mary equally? As opposed to, who do you want to leave your residuary estate to? This might be a subtle difference, but the first question leads the client's thinking, whereas the second question, the open question, gives them the freedom to consider everyone and respond without narrowing their thoughts. The definition of a leading question is a question that prompts or encourages a specific answer or type of answer. A question that prompts or encourages a specific answer or a type of answer. Now, I'm not suggesting that you would be doing this deliberately. It's an easy mistake to make if you haven't considered this point before. You will have seen this, I'm sure, in various settings. Take, for example, a questionnaire that you get after purchasing a product, which encourages a positive answer so that you leave a five-star review. Something like, how much did you enjoy using our product? This question presupposes that you did enjoy using the product and just seeks to gauge the degree of enjoyment. A more open equivalent question might be, please rate your experience of using our product. What effect could this have though on the outcome of the will? Well, let's take specific gifts. Reading from the old will, you say, so previously you were leaving your jewellery to your niece Marjorie and you were leaving your collection of fossils to your nephew George. Do you still want to leave those gifts? You do. Okay. Any other gifts? Now, what's happened here is that you've concentrated the mind of the testator on specific items and specific people. Whilst the second part of that line of questioning was definitely open, as in any other gifts, that's a good open question, but the earlier reminder of the jewellery and the fossils focuses attention too narrowly. There have been many studies on this area of leading questions and influencing questions, but here's an example from one from the 1970s. A group of participants were split into subgroups, and each person was shown a number of videos of car accidents. They were then asked a question. And for each subgroup, the question was phrased slightly differently by changing one word in the question, which was the verb used to describe the moment of impact. The changeable words were smashed, collided, bumped, hit and contacted. So the question was about how fast were the cars going when they smashed each other? Or for the next group, about how fast were the cars going when they hit each other, etc.? The results showed that the subgroup were influenced by the change of the verb. The group that were asked how fast the cars were going when they smashed each other estimated speeds in excess of 40 miles an hour, whereas the group that were asked how fast they were going when they contacted each other were closer to 30 miles an hour. This is a single word in a question that affected the outcome. Okay, that is quite specifically about memory the memory that the person had of the videos they'd watched on the car crash. But I'm sure you can see the same principle would apply to the answer to questions for a will. Moving on to another issue with this old will as the new instructions method. Even when a will writer has taken a fresh fact find, 
I still see corners cut. Perhaps the most commonly cut corner is the no changes comment. I've seen this most frequently with the family structure and the assets page of a fact find. But think about that for a moment. If you've taken a fact find, there are obviously going to be items on that fact find which will not have changed. The client's date of birth, for example. But when you've addressed other areas on the fact find, such as the assets, if you have written no changes on the assets page, then it's pretty much impossible for you to have actually asked the client to consider what their current assets are. Otherwise, you would have written out those assets again, wouldn't you? Have the clients list out their assets. If you've been doing this job for any sort of length of time, then I'm sure you will have had that situation where when going through the assets, you get to the end of the list and you've asked, are there any other assets that make up your estate? The client says no, and you say, okay. So let's just do a quick run through and a broad list of assets to see if anything else comes to mind. Do you have any real estate? Do you have any other cash in the bank? Any other stocks and shares? Investments? ISAs? What about any... Well, hold on a minute, says the client. Yes, actually, we've got some premium bonds. I bought them a long time ago. Haven't checked them for years, actually. You never know, I might have won something. By doing this exercise fully and drilling down into possible additions to their initial list of assets, they've actually recalled something that they might not otherwise have done. So for you to write no change on a page means you must have asked, have there been any changes to your assets? Or have there been any changes to your family structure? Have there been any changes to the distribution of your estate? This is a type of leading question that doesn't do a thorough enough job of opening the client's thinking and focusing them on the subject matter. Another problem with this method is that it can be more difficult to draft from. Now this would mainly be a problem where you outsource your drafting to another company or maybe to another person within your company. That person might well have to look up the old instructions from the past to be able to draft in the present, rather than having all the instructions right there in front of them in one place. Not a major issue, I'm sure, but it's one that's worth bearing in mind, and it can lead to drafting errors, or more amendments being needed after the draft has been put together. For example, if you've asked, has anybody changed address in the last five years? The client might run through their close family and think, um, no, nobody's moved recently. But I'm sure we've all had that experience of having time somewhat distorted and thinking that something happened just a couple of years ago, only to discover it was actually like 10 years or more since that thing happened. One final point is that shortcutting the service in this way detracts from the value and the importance of the task. This is a subtle point, and it might even be a little bit symbolic, but I believe that it's a matter of integrity and a matter of professional pride. If you treat a task or an object or even a person in a careless, slipshod fashion, it shows a lack of respect and takes away from the importance of that task, that object or that person. I recall some years ago seeing an inadvertent demonstration of this in a second-hand bookshop. It was a big shop and I'd picked up a copy of a very old book from the early 1700s. I spotted the age of the book, and it quite surprised me that it was just sat there on a shelf. I didn't really know at that time if books of that age were common or not, but due to its age, 
I felt the need to treat it with a little bit of respect. There was an assistant nearby and I asked him a question about the book. He took the book from me, he turned it over in a disinterested sort of fashion, opened the cover, flipped a few pages and said he didn't know the answer to the question. But he treated the book in a slightly careless way. And because of how he treated the book, I lost a little bit of interest in it. And it very literally lost some value in my mind. I'd had in mind that the book must be quite expensive because it was old. But seeing this chap's attitude, it very literally lowered the figure or the price bracket that I thought it might be in. I actually put it back on the shelf and continued browsing. But before leaving the shop, I went back, I picked it up and I took the book to the main counter to see if the gentleman there knew the answer to the question. When he took the book from me, he actually handled it really carefully. He opened it up and very clearly had respect for the book. He didn't just whip open the cover to see if he could answer my question. He carefully laid it on the counter. He opened the cover gently. He seemed to be being careful with the spine of the book. This wasn't just some sort of showmanship. It was a clear respect for an old book that had survived 300 years to be in his hands today. And my opinion shifted again of its likely value. As I say, this is all a little bit subtle and a bit symbolic, and it is, of course, an example of a physical item. But the same applies for people, and the same applies to tasks. If a task, in this case, taking instructions for a new will, is treated with professionalism, is treated with pride in a job well done, then it's going to be received by the client with a much higher likelihood of, of value and respect by the client for the job that you're doing. I recall one client that I went out to see some years ago and he was a businessman, he was a busy gentleman and he was obviously considering the act of making a will as a relatively unimportant task. He hadn't put much time aside in his diary, I'd turned up at his workplace which in itself was probably a little bit of an error but it was the only time and place that I could pin him down. And he said, right, well look, we've got 20 minutes, are we going to be okay with 20 minutes? Now, obviously, 20 minutes isn't enough time to take a good thorough fact find, take good instructions for the will. And this gentleman had not read the letter that I'd sent out beforehand, giving him some things to be thinking about. He just had in mind, well, uh, I know who my executors are going to be. I know where my estate needs to go. I know how I want to distribute it. So let's just get it down on paper and get something signed. It was a very throwaway task to him. But... I handled his consideration of only having 20 minutes. I said that we could make a start in 20 minutes, but it's probably going to have to be that I come back. Uh, we'll see how far we get, shall we? I managed to extend the time from 20 minutes to about three quarters of an hour before he actually started to look at his watch and get distracted. But I'd got his interest by this point. I treated the task with enough respect that he then started to respect that there was more to making a will than he'd at first considered. The same thing applies with the old will. If you're cutting corners, you're taking shortcuts, asking, have there been any changes to your assets? No, there haven't. Okay, fair enough. Moving on to the next section then. Sure, it's going to save you time. I understand that. But you need to treat this activity in a fresh moment of time this is now five years on things will have changed and if they haven't fine but at least you've addressed it at least you can then show if any 
problem occurs in the future, if there's ever a challenge to that will, you can show that you've done a good, thorough, professional job at that new moment in time. All right, I hope you have found this topic useful. If there are any topics that you would like covering, or if you've got any questions, comments, feedback, then you can use the Podbean app to communicate, or you could email me directly. My email address is anthony.brinkman at twp.co.uk. Anthony is spelt without an H, by the way. I'm totally happy to receive your communications. I'll get back to you as fast as I can. And if you're enjoying this podcast, if you're getting something out of this, please let me know about it. Let me, I'd love to hear your feedback and leave a like or a comment. I'll look forward to speaking with you again soon. And thank you for listening.